It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. The SEC opener now a little more than 48 hours away. That brings uh, the South Carolina Gamecocks to town. Gabe DeArmond and Brian Austin here. Say hi, Brian. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Yeah, that's Brian. Chris Clark from GamecockCentral.com on the phone. Chris, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, from Columbia to Columbia. And, hey, I learned this week they play for something called the Mayor's Cup. I had no idea. Apparently, it's a trophy. It is. It is a trophy. Uh, the champion of Columbia, I suppose it is. You didn't know that? Yeah, I probably knew it at one point, but I forgot it along with a lot of other things. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in all seriousness, before we get into this game, like Missouri fans have been asking for five years, like, who's our rival in this league? And the SEC is trying to make up this thing with Arkansas. And everybody kind of hates Tennessee because that's what their fans engender. But, like, the best games have been Missouri-South Carolina. Like, it, this this series, outside of the – the first one where Jadeveon Clowney and company just kind of destroyed a pretty bad Missouri team. Like the last few games have been pretty good between these teams. And I, I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but it's a fun series. Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing, Gabe, is even if the two teams, you know, have not been very good football teams, the games have been close. You know, the games have been entertaining. And certainly, I mean, I think back to the game at Missouri, the two overtime game. Now, that was a couple of really good teams. And uh, that to this day was still maybe the wildest game I've seen. I've seen some wild ones when it comes to South Carolina, but that was one of them. They've, for some reason, they've had some road games uh, that have just been bonkers in terms of how they played out, how they finished, and that was one of them. But, yeah, these have been close, and, you know, each team has dealt some blows to the other one that have been pretty significant, some, some tough losses for both. And so it has been a good, I think, fun series, and I think it's one that people have – you know, more and more started to embrace. I mean, when you think of South Carolina, you're going to think of obviously Clemson out of conference. And then, you know, you're going to think of the other the other folks in the East, mainly the top dogs of, you know, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee. I certainly think South Carolina fans point to Georgia and Tennessee. Like you said, nobody really seems to like Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, Georgia has always, of course, been, been a big one for South Carolina. But Missouri sort of, uh, rising up there to be to be one that's an interesting rivalry. South Carolina had the the nice win over NC State to start the season. Just what's kind of the feeling coming out of the team, coming out of uh, the coaches after that that week one victory? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of unknowns going into that game. Um, all phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. I think people expected offensive improvement pretty significantly expected some level of defensive improvement. The special teams is just sort of like, you know, replacing a long snapper and your kicker and your punter just and, and your kickoff guy. It's just sort of an unknown. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they answered that on the first play of the game with a 97-yard <laughs> kick return. And they were pretty solid. They didn't, you know, have to kick any field goals in the game. But they were solid overall. And, um, you know, I, I think what we saw was one of the biggest questions people had was um, – you know, improvement on the lines of scrimmage. I mean, you know, we can talk about Jake Bentley and the receivers, the running backs. People knew, look, to, to have a chance at real success this season, this team is going to have to get better on the front five on offense. They're one of the worst teams in the country when you look at the numbers uh, offensively up front throughout the year. And then defensively, 
you know, get better in the trenches. And, you know, I think they were that. Now, part of it was a product of NC State ran over 100 snaps offensively. Um, South Carolina, you know, they had 11 tackles for loss. I think they averaged five a game last season. They had four sacks in the game. They got a sack on a three-man pressure, and I don't know which – you know, when we've seen that the last time in covering this team. So, you know, it, it was it was a close game, and there are a lot mm-hmm. of things to clean up. But I think this is a good NC State team. Certainly the defensive front was really good, and South Carolina handled that. They uh, The two sacks that NC State had in the game should have been more, if not for Jake, Jake Bentley's sort of brilliance in navigating the pocket and rushing out of there at times. But their only two real sacks of the game were uh, on well-designed blitzes that came from the secondary. So, you know, often the running game wasn't there just because of the flow of the game, the lack of snaps. But they did some things that sort of showed some explosive capability on offense fans have hoped to see defensively. I think things just looked better. It, it just passed the eye test more is how I'd describe it. Hey, you brought it up, and that's kind of where I wanted to go. I mean, look, this Missouri defense shouldn't feel good facing anybody after what we saw out of them last week. But <laughs> – when you look at that South Carolina game, 31 rushing yards against NC State, did that have more to do with NC State being as good as advertised up front or South Carolina just not trying to do it as much? Yeah, you know, it was a little of both. Look, South Carolina, you know, I mentioned 100 snaps for NC State on offense. It was 50, you know, in the 50s for South Carolina. Hmm. It was just sort of the flow of the game. I mean, Part of it was, you know, they essentially had their first drive taken away because they just took it to the house on the mm-hmm. kickoff on the first one. NC State scored, had a, had a drive that scored at the end of the half and then got the ball back to start the second half. And they had a long drive at the end of the game where it, it ultimately fell short on, on downs, on a fourth down throw of the end zone. But South Carolina sort of wanted the clock to bleed out there. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it, it, was, it was a combination of things, um, certainly – you know, for example, Tyson Williams, who was a guy that people were really interested to see this season at running back, you know, he, he didn't even get any carries. He just played a handful of snaps. You know, Rico Dowdle didn't really get it going. But nobody had a lot of opportunities. Um, th- their better matchups were in the passing game, um, and their snaps were limited. So I, I, don't, I don't really take that rushing performance in this one game, that, that opener with that many snaps, that few snaps, um, as being indicative of what we may see this season. I, I still think it's a question mark to a degree. I think they're better equipped to be a better rushing team this season. Uh, but it's still a bit of a question mark. I just don't think we can take too much from it one way or another after that first game. But NC State definitely, I mean, you, you just watch their guys move and, and look at them, and you can tell they're, they've got some players up there. I mean, Debo Samuel had the that opening kickoff return for a touchdown. And, I mean, obviously he's used in the passing game as well. Just – how do they? What kind of ways do they try to get him the ball? I'm, I'm assuming end rounds, involved yeah. in as many ways as possible. <laughs> I think you know we'll we'll continue seeing more of that during the season. But he's a guy who can play anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, typically he's outside. But yeah, I mean, kick returning they they showed a look that they've really been working on in terms of where they wanted to bounce to play on that opening kick return. They've been repping it a lot, and he's a guy that can break through and and just. He's got some speed. He's, he's one of those guys that turns into a running back with the ball in his hands because he's got some elusiveness. He's tough to tackle and bring down. And nobody really got too incredibly close on that kickoff. But, yeah, they'll line him up inside. I mean, we saw, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw the, the scramble play that Jake Bentley had and hit him 
in the back of the end zone, the back corner, 39 yards, and Debo in full sprint, you know, just snagged it with one hand and brought it down uh, with one arm, really. Mm-hmm. And and he, so he's capable of making those great catches. He can make contested catches in traffic, even though he's a smaller guy. Um, you know, he can make you pay in space. He's got speed. But, yeah, that, they'll get him. That We've seen the jet sweep last year uh, against NC State. We saw him carry the ball. In, in some more creative ways. And I think they'll continue opening up the playbook and showing some of those looks with him in the backfield, coming in motion, things like that. Talking with Chris Clark from Gamecock Central. So now the interesting part of this game to me, Chris, we've got two head coaches who have at times in their careers been coordinators for top 10 really good defenses. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have very good defenses in this game. Uh, you think I'm wrong? <laughs> You know, no. Um, neither these aren't going to be top ten defenses. Uh, you know, you mentioned Barry Odom's resume. You're, you're going to be more knowledgeable about that than I am, Gabe. But I mean, Will Muschamp has been part of, for example, the LSU defense he coordinated in 2003 with Nick Saban was the number one defense in the country in scoring defense and total defense. I think they allowed like 11 points a game. Um, you know, and he's had. I mean, you look at his career. There's multiple top ten units in that group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and every time he's had a second year, every one of his stops, head coach or coordinator, the second year, statistically the team's gotten better in terms of the rankings defensively. Uh, you, you, know, you don't always go by stats, but generally that's an indicator of getting better. And so I, I think that was one part of it is, look, this will be the second year in the system. Um, at certain spots they got a little bit more depth, but there's still a lot of questions. You know, still a lot of the same guys. Can they – can they get off blocks in the run game? Can they pass rush? Um, they've got three scholarship linebackers. Their three starters are the only guys who played any ball whatsoever going into this uh, into this first game that they just played. You know, they've got a couple injuries in the secondary, a few injuries, and they're sort of thin there. So, but I think it's a group that's going to have to be opportunistic. They're really opportunistic with turnovers last season. We saw in the Missouri game, three turnovers for Missouri, zero for South Carolina last year. That was a big point of emphasis in the game. That was a big key to it. Um, and so I don't. it's not a dynamic defense with a bunch of twitched-up pass rushers and, and just unbelievable athletes. They got Sky Moore back, which is huge. Some of the young guys who played last year a year older, like T.J. Brunson at linebacker, had 16 tackles in the first game, was all over the place. Um, used Bryson Allen Williams as a pass rusher. But the coaching staff does feel like they're playing blocks better and things like that. They had four sacks in the first game. Again, probably a little inflated because of the number of plays NC State ran. But they did just pass the eyeball test more. And so I don't think you can – again, I don't think you can take too, take too much from that first game. They're going to play a lot of different offensive styles. Missouri's going to be a good bit different than NC State. I think this will be a, a test that gives us a little bit more of an indicator of how they can handle things. I do think it's a better group than 2016, but I think the improvement will be more uh, moderate than than substantial uh, in terms of, you know, where they end up finishing and what they look like. Um, with this defense, with offenses trying to attack, where are some spots maybe you see some vulnerabilities in it or some weaknesses in it to where uh, teams like Missouri or other SEC teams might yeah. be able to take advantage of? Well, there were a couple times South Carolina got beat on, on some routes downfield. They got turned around or, or didn't get turned around on a few throws downfield that NC State took advantage of. Um, 
NC State had sort of a, a bit of a trick play to a tight end down the sideline. They didn't find a ton of running success. Um, South Carolina, I think, played the run better than, than we saw a lot last season uh, in this particular game. Um, you know, in, the, in terms of the secondary, there were some guys open for NC State at times, and they took advantage of sort of a shorter passing game is where they had a lot more of their success. Um, I, you know, I still think it's a defense that's, that's vulnerable to if you get a team who's really good at rushing the ball, you know, really good at, at distributing the ball and, and getting it out quickly, which is what NC State did a lot. They did throw it downfield some, not a ton. Um, so it, it's just still a group that's not really proven because they, they, you know, when you look at the different offensive styles they faced last year, for example, you saw in East Carolina who didn't score a lot of points, but they racked up a ton of yards, mm-hmm. more of a wide-open attack. And then you look at Georgia who could run it on third and eight last season and get a first down. You know, different style attacks. So they struggled in different areas. And I just don't think we have enough of those questions answered yet. I do think they look better getting off blocks and, you know, creating uh, pass rush opportunities, things like that. Players are a year older. But, you know, still a group that I think Missouri's going to score some points in this game. I think they're going to rack up some yards. You know, I I think the key for this defense is going to be be opportunistic, create some takeaway opportunities get off the field. Um, ideally, you want to, you know, Missouri is the fastest team in the country on offense, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of snap tempo. And so what South Carolina wants to do there is to create a bunch of warp speed three not three and outs. I mean, that's what they want to do. Yeah. Um, Missouri's good at that'll those. Happen. Missouri's good at yeah. those. They do those <laughs> <Yeah>. a lot. <laughs> right. So that'd be ideal for South Carolina. Now, I do think Missouri – I mean, Drew Locke's a capable quarterback. I really like some of Missouri's receivers. Demaria Crockett, supremely undervalued running back. So they've got some tools. I think they're going to get some yardage on this defense. So uh, I think it's going to be a really excellent test for the defense and, and will help us to gauge. You know, then we'll have a two-game sample against mm-hmm. a couple different types of offenses. All right, yeah. Chris, all Missouri fans know Jake Bentley. They know Debo Samuel. They know Sky Moore. Um, yeah. Tell us about a couple of the guys, and I assume one of them is going to be the freshman whose name I am probably going to mispronounce, but uh, Jameis Williams. Uh, you know, right. but who are some of the guys that Missouri fans don't know? Well, offensively, you know, Hayden Hurst is a huge key for South Carolina. Um, anybody who watched the South Carolina game, I'm sure has heard the story. You know, he's 24, 25 years old, former MLB organization, minor league pitcher. And then went back to college, walked on. It's one of the best tight ends in the country now. Just a big physical guy. You know, he, he was called on to block Bradley Chubb. NC State's, you know, high NFL draft pick after this year and, and stonewalled him a couple times, you know, in pass protection. Um, he didn't – he got a couple balls thrown to him and, and none of them worked out. I think he's a guy that will be targeted more during the season, but he's invaluable as a blocker. He's really improved there. Um, he, he's just a big physical player. So he's one. You know, Rico Dowdle, Tyson Williams, A.J. Turner at running back. Zach Bailey, the right tackle, is a really good player. Um, you know, Brian Edwards had a really good freshman year, and Shai Smith, who's a freshman this season, um, called it, had some big catches in the NC State game, some, some chain movers for him. And then, you know, defensively, you know, Jamias Williams is a freshman who's starting at nickel. I, I think, you know, T.J. Brunson, who I mentioned, 16 tackles last week. Uh, you mentioned Sky Moore. Bryson Allen Williams will be utilized in a lot of different ways. 
Chris Lamonts in the secondary is probably their best all-around player because he can play any spot. And I think their best pure cover guy is probably Rashad Sutton uh, out at corner. And then up front, Taylor Stallworth, the defensive tackle, he's probably their, their best and most consistent guy, although they've had some youngsters coming on. You know, DJ Wanham, their sophomore buck linebacker, um, really did some good things against State and about 30 pounds heavier than, than last season. All right, last thing for you then. This game in this Columbia has been pointed to since the schedule came out as this is kind of the barometer game for what can we expect out of Missouri. If they can win this game, a return to a bowl is is pretty certain, I think, and and you start looking at, you know, seven, eight wins as possible. If Missouri loses this game, uh, you got to stretch a little bit maybe to get to six. So a lot of people, including myself, have called this kind of Missouri season. Maybe. Is it mm-hmm. that critical? I mean, how's it viewed for South Carolina going forward? You know, I, I haven't really picked up on any talk that this is sort of that quote-unquote must-win. I will say that when you look at this early stretch for South Carolina, even though NC State was circled as sort of like a, this is a toss-up, man. But, Missouri, you know, Missouri on the road, not an easy game at all. And then Kentucky at home. When you looked at those three games, you know, those are three of the more winnable games on South Carolina's schedule. And so, yeah, I mean, if you want to get to a bowl, continue to show progress, maybe do a little better than expected going into this season, I do think they need to take, definitely needed to take two or three of those games. And they got one W in the, in that column uh, for the NC state game. So yeah, you, you look at it and there are a lot of tough games on South Carolina's schedule. You know, they got to go to Tennessee and Georgia and, you know, there a couple home games are Florida and Clemson, which won't be easy games at all. And so, to, you know, at A&M, when you look at at A&M and say that's one of the, you know, more winnable games on the schedule, that's a tough schedule. It's um, not so, winnable if it's only 30 minutes long. If it's 60 minutes long, I give South yeah. Carolina an excellent shot. <laughs> a great chance. Oh, yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to make that joke. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. It, also, it's, if it's after October 28th, A&M will not win it. This is what yeah, A&M you know, does, that, man. That, the second half of things, whether it's games or seasons, they're not good at. Yeah, you know, that's the, South Carolina should really petition to get the game moved in November or something. <laughs> I mean, that, that would be very – swap them out a little bit. But, but no, I mean, it, I, I do think – I can't – I couldn't call this game like, you know, if South Carolina does not win this game, the season does not look good. You really couldn't say that, especially with – there is still a lot of uncertainty in the East. There are a lot of toss-ups, and yeah. I still, still think there's a lot of things we don't know about this team. I don't. I still don't think we know a lot of things about Missouri. We don't know a lot of things about every other single team in the East. Right, right. We just don't know. And so, um, you know, that's why it's hard for me to call it a must-win. I do think this is South Carolina's best opportunity uh, here in September to start racking up some wins with the way the schedule breaks down. All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll be there, and I'm sure some of your guys will be as well. So look forward to uh, seeing those guys on Saturday night. Thanks a lot, Gabe. Go have a great week. All right, you too. Thanks, Chris. Chris Clark, GamecockCentral.com. Uh, those guys do a great job covering South Carolina. I encourage you, if you want kind of the other side of things, to, to check out their site. Uh, like he said, I mean, this is, a ga- this is kind of a separation game in the East between these two teams, but frankly – Every game in the East is a separation game. I, I don't know who would separate. Right, yeah. The, 
As things stands right now with the injury that happened at Georgia, I know the guy that's coming in uh, from is a pretty good quarterback himself replacing Easton, and doesn't sound like it's going to be the entire season, but just the way the teams looked this first week and the way things went, it just, I don't know, it's, it's a toss-up still. I know Georgia was kind of the heavy favorite to start to some people, but no, there's not a great team in that group, and there doesn't seem like there's a just – wretched team although Missouri's defense <laughs> tried to prove otherwise they're, they're like wretched half teams <laughs> yeah. but maybe not the full team on that note now we bring in from the SEC network SEC network prime time play-by-play man and Columbia native Tom Harton actually we're just going to bring Tom on to break down Rockbridge's 3-0 and start to the high school football season <laughs> for about 15 minutes because I know that's a much bigger deal right Tom <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, listen, with a neutral site win week one against a power like Rockers, I, I don't know if anybody expected that. But to go, uh, you know, essentially on the road in your own town and pull that off on a hot Saturday afternoon, I knew they were destined for greatness. <laughs> all right. Well, there you go. Those 30 seconds are about all we're going to do on Rockbridge football. But uh, <laughs> Tom is headed to LSU for LSU Chattanooga this week. But we wanted to make sure to get him on the podcast early in the season because obviously very familiar with Mizzou and the entire SEC. So I just want to ask your first takeaway from watching the first, I don't know, 30 minutes of defense, if you want to call it that, that Missouri played against Missouri State last week. Well, you know, some of my concerns with Missouri's defense came to fruition, and I don't think I'm alone in this, probably speaking to the masses. But when I was was in Columbia during the spring and had a chance to watch that team practice, a couple of deficiencies really stood out to me. Um, At first, I was a little bit questionable about the linebackers, some guys that I thought may be out of position. But then the secondary really hit me. And I thought, if you're going to have success in the SEC, a league that has locked down corners, and not only that, but also has, you know, it, it's trending upwards in terms of quarterback play, and they'll see a great one in Bentley Saturday night. I had real concern about the secondary. Um, I didn't think they would look that bad and that porous uh, and that fundamentally off in week one against an inferior opponent, but I think that's going to continue to be a concern for Missouri going forward. Do you take anything from the the second half turnaround? I know a lot of the uh, the thought is that Missouri State just kind of got overwhelmed, uh, changed a few things here and there. It didn't make as much difference as just kind of just wearing them down more. Yeah, Brian. I don't know. I mean, I think that when you have SEC personnel, or if you have SEC personnel, you should never be in that position to begin with. And mm-hmm. I don't want to look at the glass half full. I know Barry took full ownership um, after the game, but. Um, you know, if you want to say there wasn't a sense of urgency in the first half, I'll, I'll give that to you. But there should have been after the first quarter. You know, that should have been a great wake-up call, and it just wasn't there. And, you know, the way I view teams and the way I view SEC teams specifically, when we're going through these non-conference games against inferior opponents, it's not so much how, how do you look that day against that opponent. It's how does that project to when you have a conference opponent or someone uh, another power five opponent of with legitimate talent on the other side of the ball. And I think that's the most concerning aspect of, of the defensive performance all the way around. And uh, the SEC opener is this weekend and a couple more just on Mizzou, and then we'll jump into the league a little bit. But, I mean, this is the game, Tom, that we've pointed to since the schedule came out. Like, look, if there's going to be progress, if you're pretty certain you're going to a bowl game and Barry Odom's going to be able to say we're a lot better than we were last year, 
this almost is a game Missouri has to win. This is kind of a separation in the middle of the East to me. Like, you know, whoever wins this game, you think, okay, that's probably an upper half team that can maybe push some teams. Whoever doesn't might be fighting to stay out of the basement. Well, I thought the East going into the season was going to be a tire fire. You know, just let's see. (laughs) Right, again. Um, let's see what it looks like at different points of the season. And I think week one, South Carolina's win against NC State was, was huge for the league, but specifically the division, because now all of a sudden you know that they are a quality opponent. Um, and I, I do see with throughout the East, it's just full of swing games. I mean, everybody's schedule has four or five swing games over the course of the season. I don't see that as much when you look at the West, you know, because the top three teams in the West, uh, may have swing games with each other, but otherwise should be relatively successful against the bottom half of that division. I think it goes a long way to, to shaping a couple things. Obviously, it goes a long way to shaping the race in the East, but also, you know, this quarterback battle and, and co- from a confidence standpoint. I mean, these are two of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And while the league is trending upwards in quarterback play, it's going to be even better next year. I mean, that's probably going to be the high watermark for a couple of years. So, and Bentley is a guy that, that I loved last year. I, I saw him in his first start. I love the attitude he plays with. Uh, you know, when he, when Locke was playing down in South Carolina, he was swigging out of water bottles that were thrown onto the field as well. So, there, you know, there was some of that attitude too. But um, we made the comparison last year, the first time we saw Bentley, that he kind of reminded us of Favre. I mean, listen, not, from, not that he's going to be a Hall of Famer, right. but the way he sprints around the field after throwing a touchdown pass, the way he gets his team – fired up and I saw that from him when I was down at one of their August scrimmages you know a year a year and a month ago and we talked to their coaching staff about it like they had three quarterbacks and who knows what was going to happen with their quarterback position last year but their third quarterback was this kid who was supposed to still be in high school and he was the one that was taking deep shot after deep shot defense be damned coverage be damned I'm going to try to make a play Um, and in that regard he certainly stands out and he's fun to watch. I mean, I don't know if there's another quarterback in the league who's as much fun to watch as Bentley is. I'm going to bounce back to the defense real quick. And in, in all you covering football and researching of it, um, is there any hope for the fans out there? Have you ever seen a defense perform like that against an opponent like that and then bounce back to have a solid nope. season or even Coach a solid speak, half? Yeah, Coach speak is that um, – you know, the greatest improvement happens between week one and week two, right? Damani Cross told us that this week, and I wanted to say, I think I think this is like an old wives' tale. <laughs> no, I, I believe it. I do believe it. I mean, in the SEC, historically, that biggest improvement usually comes because of off-field transgressions. You're going to have a few guys miss <laughs> right. the first game. Steve Spurrier used to make fun of Georgia all the time. He said, we mm. want to get them early in the season when they still have a couple guys suspended. Right. LSU was missing 13 guys last week. Um, that, Missouri doesn't have that to lean back on, not that you would want to. But, no, I, I believe when, when you get out there and this Missouri State being what they are, I, I understand the quality of competition. But you've been hitting each other for the last 15 practices, which was now spread over like a five-week period because of the new NCAA rules, you get lethargic, and I understand that. And the speed of the game, once you get out there on game day, may not be what you're accustomed to. The signals may not be what you're accustomed to, the, the communication. And those are all things that, that can improve 
from week one to week two. And the fundamentals and the tackling better improve or yeah. it's going to be it's going to be really ugly. Talking to Tom Hart. Yes, from the- I thought we were supposed to be a little bit positive today. You guys got me like kicking a can down the street. Now. I mean, I, look, I, I went into that game saying seven and five, and and I don't know how you could have left that stadium not having downgraded your projections a little bit because, like you said, I mean, that's the offense. Like you want to feel good about the offense, but all the offense to me did was what it was supposed to do against Missouri State, and that game should have been seventy to ten, and it wasn't. But, hey, week to week, these are 20-year-old kids, and, and you never know. Uh, talking with, with Tom Hart from the SEC Network and a Columbia native. Tom, before we get into kind of the SEC, I want to want you to give Missouri fans it's a little inside baseball here, but you're flying to Baton Rouge today. Just tell us what a weekend is like for you and your crew. I mean, what do you do from Thursday till, till whenever you leave Sunday outside of the three and a half, well, if you're calling a Missouri game, maybe the four and a half hours that you're actually calling a game. <laughs> Well, this week was a bit of a scramble leading up to the Thursday departure. Originally, our crew was on the Florida uh, Northern Colorado game that was supposed to be Saturday night at seven thirty. Then, with um, with the hurricane coming up the uh, up the state, apparently they moved that game time, and so they shifted us last second to the LSU game, which was a call that I got Wednesday at about twelve fifteen, which is. Um, which makes for a mad scramble because it's, right. it's usually about 40, 30, 40 hours worth of prep before I even leave town, depending on if I've had that team before and if I'm familiar with them and how much game film I need to watch. But um, usually by the time I get on the plane, the hay's in the barn, and we'll, uh, a couple of us will be on the same flight uh, landing in Baton Rouge about 3.50 this afternoon. We'll go straight to their practice at 4 o'clock. Uh, we have great relationships there with – a number of those coaches, I was lucky to do their spring game, so I'm familiar enough with LSU and, and have spent some time with Matt Canada and Dave Aranda and, of, co- of course, uh, Orgeron. So, you know, we'll, we'll be invited guests at practice. We'll get a, a chance to see the personnel that they're using, the guys that may or may not be running with the first team. That'll usually give us a good idea on, you know, who's going to dress and who's not if they still have some suspensions uh, carrying over, then we'll we'll enjoy a nice uh, nice night in Baton Rouge. There's plenty of great restaurants, and Friday morning we'll be back over at the facility about 9 a.m. to break down film. It'd be myself and Jordan Rogers and Cole Kublik, and we're lucky to have a sideline analyst, a guy in Cole who really knows the game and studies more film than anyone I've ever met. So that's that's really integral in our success during the broadcast is to have Jordan and Cole kind of walk us through a lot of the film, what they see, what they don't see, and it's a great precursor to some of the things that, that you know we'll talk about during the broadcast or that we expect to see. So after our film, we'll uh, we'll sit down, we'll meet with uh, Coach Orgeron, we'll meet with each coordinator separately, we'll probably meet with two or three players to get their thoughts about. Uh, the season, the system, uh, what they expect out of the opponent on Saturday night. Um, Friday afternoon is usually pretty loose. We might we might hang around the facility a little bit. We might uh, we definitely go out and have a great meal in Baton Rouge. Most of it, most it, of it, it kind of rotates. It rotates around the food, yeah. <laughs> especially in Baton Rouge. It, it com- um, completely understand. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's one of the highlights of the SEC. Yeah, the. the facilities are incredible the fans are passionate but the food is off the chart <laughs> now i did make a joke but look one of the uh one of the biggest press box traditions after complaining about the food is complaining about how long games take um i mean is that do you see that 
it's hard to get a game in under four hours now. I mean, I laugh when I when I flip on my my guide. It says twelve to three college football. I'm like, well, that's not going to be over at three. There's no chance. I mean, is that something that that you guys and and people at ESPN take notice of? Just how much longer games are going? Well, my bosses certainly take notice of it because they have specific you know broadcast windows that they want to fit the games into. But let me let me take another view of this, and I, I learned this from. John Sherholtz, who I came to respect growing up in Missouri when he was the GM of the Royals. And then I worked with him when I was with the Braves for four years. And his counter to game time was always, wait a second, if you're in the stadium, do you really want to leave? Like, if you're a fan and you've paid your money and you're enjoying the game, who's in a rush to get out? And I thought that was a great perspective. Now, I look back at, let's say, Tennessee, Texas A&M last year. That was an incredible game. I, it, it clocked in like just under five hours, I think. Wow. I don't know anybody who turned that TV off. Yeah. You know, I don't know anybody who changed from CBS. I don't know anybody who left Kyle Field and said, uh, you know what, I got dinner reservations. Now, <laughs> obviously where it rears its head is when it's Missouri-Delaware State or Missouri-Missouri State, and you're like, come on, this, let's just take them out back and put them out of their misery. I, <laughs> I get that. Um, and that happens to us sometimes when you're calling a game, just from the standpoint of, okay, what next? What can we talk about now? It's a 30, 40, 50-point game. But overall, like when you're, when you're involved in a thriller, a couple years ago we had Arkansas-Auburn that went four overtimes, and we just kept getting flight notifications like every 15 minutes, and we're counting down the different flights that we had missed and whether or not we were going to get home that night. And, you know, it got to a point where we're like, screw it. This is an incredible game. Everybody's scoring. Everybody's having fun. It's every moment is matched by another moment. So if you're lucky to get one of those, I think you you throw the clock out the window. Uh, We talked about Missouri's game enough already here. What what were your impressions from the the rest of the SEC uh, in week one? Well, Alabama obviously was awfully impressive. I mean, I don't. I just don't see them slowing down. Um, I don't see many holes there. I think Hertz is as good a runner as he was last year, and I'm anxious to see how he can develop as a passer. Um, that Texas A&M meltdown, we all know, is a microcosm of that program under Sumlin. I don't understand what they're doing at the quarterback position. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do going forward. That was a that was a terrible loss for a guy who's already under great pressure from a yeah. fan base who has a hard time understanding a lot of the things that he does. Um, the, the LSU win may have been the most impressive all week. BYU is a good program. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a veteran team. They've been around. They've played in, in big games, and they looked completely lost. I was so impressed with LSU's team speed on defense, and that was without – their All-American defensive end that was without one of their All-American uh, defensive backs that was without uh, one of their veteran leaders at linebacker. Um, I just I was high on LSU early in the season mainly because of Darius Geis and, and Matt Canada and what they can do offensively. I didn't know that they would look that good defensively, and so I think that's a that's a great sign for LSU going forward. All right, well, Tom, we started with Rockbridge football, but we will wrap it up with, you already said your passion is food, so I heard a podcast with uh, with Laura Rutledge, who's going to be here with the SEC Nation crew uh, in Columbia, and she said she relies on you for Columbia recommendations. So where'd you tell the, uh, where's everybody going to need to go to see Paul and Tebow this weekend? Where'd you tell them to go? 
Well, I think Tebow would probably be hiding in his private jet. He'll just slide <laughs> in and, and slide out. But I, it always, I always ask specifically, where do you want to go? You know, you can't just say, hey, give me a place. Like, right. What are you in the mood for? So I, am, uh, I don't know how much business I've sent to Booches over the years <laughs> since I've been with ESPN, but I will continue sending people there. Um, we're a big fan of the new, well, relatively new, you know, flyover. I think that's a great spot that I'm sending people to if they want a little bit different ambiance. And then um, if they're going to have an early morning, so I don't think it's a great fit. If it were my crew and we were there for a Friday, a Thursday or a Friday night, and we didn't have to be at the field until 3 or 4 o'clock on Saturday, we'd mix in the diner. I don't know Excellent. that I can recommend the Broadway Diner to a crew. It's got to be there at 5 a.m. I have tried to eat the diner before 1 a.m. It's just not as good. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's something about the, the taste buds have to be properly lubricated <laughs> to truly appreciate what's on the plate in front of you. And you have to throw your morals out the window in one respect. Like, that's not good for anybody. Anything yeah. that's called a gordo, this, there's, there aren't enough – ellipticals in the world to work that thing off yeah look i, I had a stretch one time sober and it only one time it's it's never going to happen again so i don't know if i've ever heard that sentence uttered before <laughs> <laughs> i had to try it once just to see like you know you have to think is it really this good or am i just kind of out of my mind no it's it's better after you've been out for a while in my experience and i would not say this is my personal experience but i have witnessed this a stretch is, or Gordo, they're best consumed with a plastic fork or your bare hands out of a styrofoam <laughs> container while sitting in a parking lot in front of a truck waiting for your buddies to, to get in the car. That's, I've seen it occur before, and wow. I thought, wow, that seems really tasty to that individual right now. <laughs> well, man, I don't know where else we can go from here, so uh, appreciate your time and enjoy Baton Rouge this weekend. Okay, Brian, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tom, we'll see you in Columbia down the road, I'm sure. You got it. All right, Tom Hart, SEC Network, Columbia guy, and and one of the good guys in the business. And and, uh, I kind of like bringing on guys from, you know, hey, we want to talk football and and talk teams, but it's kind of nice to get a different perspective, too, a guy who's coming in here looking at it from a a 30,000-foot view. Right, yeah, the wider perspective. Um, He evaluates the whole SEC, obviously. He's traveling around covering all these games, watching – ton of football researching a ton of football i know those guys do a ton of film breakdown and everything getting ready for all the games so it's so it is interesting getting their perspective and and he was down on the missouri defense about as much as everybody yeah, else was absolutely and and that crew really i mean he mentioned cole kubelik who's been on this podcast before and hey, he's great mm-hmm. and I, I really like him on games so uh Look, I'm not going to encourage you necessarily to watch LSU Chattanooga on Saturday night instead <laughs> Can't of Missouri, bring yourself South to Carolina. Do it, huh? <laughs> but, you know, definitely check out some of Tom's games. And, and a Columbia guy and, and a good dude. Uh, but, yeah, the, the defensive stuff, like, look, when we talked to Ryan Walter, I walked out Saturday thinking, these, these guys are oddly chipper and positive after mm-hmm. that game. And then by Monday, when we got Ryan Walters and DeMonte Cross, like, anybody who – is saying you're overreacting and panicking, not after talking to those guys. It was every bit as bad as we thought it was at the time. Yeah, Walters, I mean, he came out and said it pretty much. Out of, out of his group, the only two guys that played well were Logan Cheadle and um, John, Adam Sparks. Adam Sparks, yeah. So, so I mean, when you're having a group of defensive backs, I'm sure they rotated through t- 10 or 12 guys back there. Them, yeah. 
and only two of them even played good, not even great. It's yeah, I mean, it's indicative of a team that's given up 35 first half points to Missouri State. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting. Tom said he could he saw the secondary in spring football. Like, look, I look at this defense. I thought the defensive line was decent. Not mm-hmm. maybe not like Shane Ray, Marcus Golden, good, right? But it was it was fine. It just wasn't good enough to make up for that back seven. I mean, the secondary scares the ever-loving you-know-what out of you. And then at linebacker, and we talked about this last week, like they have six guys that are just kind of listed as or, and Mm -hmm. like they're just guys. Like I don't think they have three starters at linebacker right now. I don't know. They're just guys. They're all interchangeable, and none of them really stood out to me as being all that good on Saturday. Yeah, there's a couple times I noticed Kale Garrett and Therese Hall made a couple plays, but overall it's just a lot of guys kind of running around, getting washed up in the line. And, I mean, if that stuff's happening in that game, then it's right. – <laughs> that, That's the scary thing is not just that Missouri State scored 35 and a half, but what's it mean for, for teams down the road? And so I, I think there are two points coming out of it. The first one is bad. Missouri's going to be in a lot of shootouts. The second one, I think – think they have an offense that's capable of being in shootouts and winning some of them which I don't think they had last year right yeah I think they could win a fair amount of these games they may still be able to be bowl eligible and I don't give up 45 points a game they're gonna have to average 40 a game to to have a winning record it'd be interesting to look up what's the most amount of points per game a team like a bowl eligible team's ever given up I I mean I could be challenging that record this season I don't know if Texas Tech made a bowl last year or not Mm -hmm. but they were the worst defense in the country at 43.8 points a game. Okay. They So Missouri gave up 43 on Saturday. One team in out of 128 averaged giving up 43 last year. One. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we'll wrap this up. Look, this game is – if they lose, I'm not going to say the season's over. But if they lose, it's a lot harder to find six or seven. Mm-hmm. No question. Especially if they don't look better on defense. Uh, Purdue d- didn't mm-hmm. look half bad against Louisville. Yeah, and... now, I think Louisville's a little overrated this year. Right. But, it, look, Purdue hung with them. I mean, that, Purdue had the lead in the fourth quarter in that game. So, And they can put up some points. You know, Auburn's got a great offense. South Carolina's got a good offense. You're going you're gonna to have to be better. So we'll end it with our predictions I'll let you go first because it's going to give me 30 more seconds to decide on mine. Well, I've earlier this week on the message board, I said I thought I saw Missouri winning in a shootout, and I'll stick with that. I don't know. I mean, this these games like this, predicting these things, is kind of just a toss-up, see what you can pull out of your back pocket. It's uh, I was just kind of thinking maybe a 45 to 40. I don't even know how you would get yeah. to those point totals, but something in that region. A lot of missed extra points. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which could happen. Well, and, and Tom mentioned, like, there are a lot of swing games in the East. Like, every game involving right. East teams is pretty much a swing game, honestly, at like, this point. I, I mean, you've got two or three pretty sure wins, a couple probable losses, and then, like, seven swing games for every team in the East, and this is one of them. Uh, look, nothing's going to surprise me. I, I won't be surprised if Missouri wins this game at all. But just coming off that performance, I can't pick them to do it. I mean, South Carolina, yeah, they gave up 500 yards, but they won the turnover battle, and they had a goal line stand from the 15-yard line to win that game. Mm -hmm. Like, NC State had three shots to tie the game and couldn't do it. So, South Carolina's defense made some plays. I didn't see Missouri's make very many plays. So, for now, I'm picking South Carolina 41-35. It's not going to surprise me if Drew Locke comes out and throws five touchdowns and Missouri Mm -hmm. does win 48-45, but... 
I, I, I'm it would surprise you if South Carolina only scored 15, 14 points or so. Yeah, though. all this said, Missouri's going to win 12-10 on an overtime safety. <laughs> and, you know, so uh, so anyway, Saturday night, 6 o'clock. Um, this will go up, and then uh, tomorrow morning we got Joe Waljasper back. We'll have the chamber. I've got a story going up on Tristan Castillo and an interesting uh, path to Mizzou and his first start. So check all that out. Full game coverage on Saturday. Thanks for joining us. And want to uh, preview the podcast next week. Uh, Dave Matter and Gary Pinkle are going to join me. Uh, they just wrote a book. It has either is, has just recently come out or is just about to come out. It, it, no, it's that I sat on shelves at the uh, local Barnes and Noble. Okay, so it's uh, it's it's basically it's called the hundred yard journey. It's basically Gary's kind of life in football, and and Dave wrote that with him. And uh, so want to have them on here to talk about that. A little bit, and um, about every other week, I remember a podcast to recommend to you guys. So check out Jeremy Crabtree, who is like a recruiting computer, Mm -hmm. is back with a podcast called Over the Middle. Um, I've listened to the first couple episodes. It's pretty interesting, and Jeremy is a guy I respect in this business more than anybody else. So check that out uh, this week if you're into football, if you're into recruiting, all that, and we will be back a week from today.